For I consider that the suffering of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in the hope we were saved, now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously giving us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Jesus Christ is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ. Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword, as it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present or things to come, nor powers, nor heights, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Jesus Christ our Lord. Father, we humbly bow before your sovereign will. You're a God who guides and directs the planets in their courses above. You're a God who turns the hearts of kings in the palms of your hand, hands like water. Father, you're a God who knows our name. You know the words that we have yet spoken while we are, were hidden in our mother's womb. You know the days of our life. You are sovereign over all. Father, we are sovereign over nothing. Father, we can't even trust our own heart that leads us astray and speaks lies to us for our hearts are sinful. We confess they are 
our heart is a cauldron of sinfulness. But Father, we confess because of Your grace, You have taken that heart of stone and given us a heart of flesh. That You have given us eyes to see and ears to hear and a heart that desires to do Your will, to know You as our Father, to have Your kingdom reign on earth as it is in heaven, to bring the good news of great joy which is for all people to every tribe and nation and tongue with confidence assurance that no matter the strongholds in governments, in societies, in individual hearts, Your Spirit can conquer those. Father, and we humbly bow before Your sovereign will. But Father, we confess that at times we doubt. Like John the Baptist as he was sitting in Herod's prison, doubted if You were the Christ. We doubt Your sovereignty and that kingdom that You proclaimed. Father, as we go from day to day, we confess that we need you. You are our only hope in life and death. Father, we thank you that you are working all things according to the purpose of your will, even when they don't feel like it. Father, we lift up to you those brothers and sisters our fellow countrymen in North and South Carolina who have been affected by Florence. We see your common grace in the radars and the rescue workers and uh, communities uniting. And I pray that our nation would realize and dispense with the bickering and fighting and, and pettiness, Lord, and be able to recognize what is of value and worth. Father, use the events, these wind in the waves that obey the sound of your voice to draw men's heart to you, to wash away the idols of our hearts and our homes and be able to drive us to our knees when we realize that we cannot uh, stand in your presence. When we realize our idols cannot save us, only Christ is able to do that. Father, I pray this morning in the preaching and proclamation of your word that we will see with new eyes and hear with new ears and love with new hearts that are brought more into alignment with the heart of our Father. Father, I pray for those in the room this morning who do not know you, who may think they know you, for those who are at war with you, for those who doubt you, that your spirit would work through imperfect words to make much of he who is perfect. That they would come to a knowledge of your will, repent of their sin, and trust in Christ. Father, we thank you that you are in our midst. And may we be faithful in proclamation and faithful in listening. And all God's people said, Amen. You may be seated. If you're not already there, if you would turn to Romans chapter 8, Romans chapter 8, we'll be looking at verse, pretty much the whole chapter, uh, but technically the latter half of it. On August 23rd, 2012, 
Crosby James Partika was introduced to the world as our son. Our home studies were finished, the fundraising was complete, and the long, agonizing months were over. We finally were able to hold our long-awaited son. Even though, um, yet even though Crosby's birth mother had signed the legal papers to terminate her rights and Crosby was placed by the state of Florida in our home, the adoption was not yet complete. We were still waiting to stand before a judge who would declare him no longer Patrick James Gould, but they would declare him Crosby James Partika. We longed and awaited that day with confidence that that day would come. Brothers and sisters, those of us who trust in Christ, who are, have, have their faith in Christ, have that same experience as Christians. We stand before the Almighty God of the universe as children. He has set His love upon us, yet we await the day when our adoption will be complete. When the judge of the universe will welcome us into his eternal home as children. That place where Jesus says, I go to prepare a place for you in my Father's house. We wait for that day to dwell in the safety and love of our Father's house for eternity. Brothers and sisters, adoption is the promise of grace from eternity past to eternity future. Adoption is the promise of grace from eternity past to eternity future. I want you to see, brothers and sisters, for those of you who have put their faith in Christ, to be able to see this metaphor that God uses through the pen of Paul to explain the relationship that we have with the Father's Christians. Three elements of this adoption I want to present to you this morning. I want you to see the timing of our adoption. I want you to see the evidence of our adoption. And I want you to feel and to know and to love the glory of adoption. The timing, the evidence, and the glory of adoption. Now, as a way of introduction, we have been bouncing around the last couple of weeks through typical texts. Next week, we'll be back in the saddle, back into Colossians chapter 2, verses 8 through 10. But we settle this morning in Romans chapter 8. This is probably the magnum opus of Paul's writing. Really, the high watermark of all Scripture is Romans chapter 8. You can take a lifetime digesting the richness and the deepness of Romans chapter 8, and you will never, never uh, be satisfied with, or, or, or never, excuse me, and never be exhaust the richness that are found in the revelation that we have in, in Romans chapter 8. It is the pinnacle of Scripture. But as I do, I want to give three emphasis in understanding of adoption as we close this week of adoption. I want you first to see the timing of our adoption. The timing of our adoption. And this will be an overview of the chapter, and then we'll zoom in on my next two emphasis. I want you to understand that the timing of our adoption is already not yet. Already our adoption has occurred, but it's not yet completed. It's not yet full. It's already and not yet. 
The adoption of a, a brothers and sisters into the family of one heavenly Father is a kingdom blessing. A kingdom that is already in our midst. The first words of Jesus in Mark chapter 1, Jesus came saying, "This the time is fulfilled, the kingdom of God is at hand. He said, repent and believe in the gospel. This kingdom that Jesus brought and initiated at his advent is already in our midst as a mustard seed that is planted and that is beginning to grow. But we realize that the kingdom is not complete because there is still sin in our world. There's sin in our hearts. We know the weight that we carry in our thoughts, in our motivations, in our actions, in reactions, we realize we are not holy as God is holy. There are sin in our church when we realize that even in the church there are acceptable idols. There is false worship that has penetrated in the church. And there is sin in our world, in our societies, in our government, in, in our people groups that sin has perpetuated, and this is not the way it's supposed to be. The already has already taken place because those who are in Christ have been united to Him by faith, have been declared sons and daughters of the triune God because of the work of God. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And I want to recap a little bit of what we talked about because it is so essential as we go back to Ephesians 1 to eternity past where God opens up the curtain and we're able to see the mystery of the gospel that we say because we believe we love because he first loved us. Even as He chose us, He the Father in Him before the foundations of the world that we should be holy and blameless. In love, He predestined us what to what? Adoption. This God is working in eternity past to bring us into a relationship with our Heavenly Father as sons or appropriate daughters through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of His will. God is working in choosing for Himself a people that He will lavish His grace upon for His glory, and that is the church. And faithful Israel who have believed in the promises of God. From Genesis 3.15, the first promise of the Gospel that the offspring of the woman would crush the head of the enemy to the final promises when he says, I will wash away every tear and every pain and death and sin will be no more. The Father has declared adoption for His people. Then we see, not only has the Father declared adoption, but the Son has accomplished adoption. Turn, if you will, or to the page maybe across to Romans chapter 8, same chapter, verse 1. There is therefore now no condemnation for who? Those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit has set you free 
in Jesus Christ from the law of sin and death, for God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not. How has the Father done this? How has He accomplished what He has ordained? He has done it through the person of Jesus Christ, His Son. Verse 3, for God has, uh, excuse me, by sending His own Son, as John said, because He so loved the world in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, He condemned sin in the flesh to be able to accomplish salvation to accomplish our adoption and to bring us into the family of God as sons and daughters while we were yet sinners. Not only has the Father ordained adoption and the Son accomplished adoption, but the Spirit confirms our adoption. In him you also, when you had heard the word of truth, the gospel of salvation, and believed in him. This evidence that you are a part of the family of God, when you put your faith and trust in the promises of God, you were sealed with the promise of the Holy Spirit. And this is as a wax drop and with the seal of a king is put on a parchment and sent. The Spirit is what seals and completes this salvation who is the guarantee of an inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. God deposits his spirit in and says, I will come back for you. And the spirit is the guarantee, it is the, um, the promise that you are not alone and left alone in this world because the spirit is our confirmation. That this work of redemption by the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit is working and accomplishing salvation through the adoption of sons and daughters. People whose family tree is a rotten stump of sinfulness who have now been grafted into the tree of life for eternity who have been grafted onto the vine of Jesus Christ, who says, apart from me, you can do nothing. And now the life of Christ flows through these branches that have been grafted off of stump of death. Our relationship now by the work of the Father in eternity past and the Son and the Spirit have um, to uh, condemned enemies have now declared them sons and daughters of the King. Our legal status before God has changed from guilty to justified. From orphans to children. From strangers to sons and daughters of the Most High God. Amen? We stand before God already changed because of adoption by the work of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, but it is not yet completed. There is this element that we see, this future finalization, if you will, of adoption that has not yet happened. Notice, if you will, in Romans 8, 22 and 23, this future completion of the adoption from eternity past that will happen in eternity future. Romans 8, 22, For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly, what? Grown inwardly because of the effects of sin that have wounded our, our souls and corrupted our hearts and, and ravaged our world. We grow inwardly 
as we eagerly await for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. There will be a day when our adoption is finalized and complete, when his children dwell in the safety and security and love of the Father's house. God will dwell in the midst of his people and they will know him and they will see his glory. We have a taste of that today, but we will know in full when our adoption is complete. And all things will be as they once were in the peace of the garden before sin had tainted and corrupted and destroyed our world. Until that day when our adoption that we long for is complete, we trust the work of the Father and Son in eternity past for our eternity future, which is secured by the grace of God. For brothers and sisters, adoption is the promise of grace from eternity past to eternity future. Not only do we see the timing of adoption, but we see the evidence of adoption. The evidence of adoption. Some of you may be sitting here today and you're asking the question, how can I be sure that I'm truly a part of the household of God? How do I really know that I've been, I am a part of the family of God? The first question is this, do you trust Christ? Do you trust Christ because you know that you are not able, that you are a sinner, and that you have committed cosmic treason against the Almighty God, and that you deserve the wrath of God, but the promise of the Gospel says, when Christ died for me, He took my punishment. He took what I deserve for what I had committed, and He paid my debts. And that, therefore, when that day when I stand before the judge of the universe, it's not by my my good looks and my accomplishedness, my uh, charity, my education, and my lineage. It's because of Jesus. When we say, I stand here because of Jesus. That will be the day. As the promise of John 1.12, but to all who did receive him, and that's another word John uses for believe, to trust, have faith in him, who believed in his name, he gave them the right to what? To become children of God. But the question is, do I really believe that? Do, how do I know that I truly trust in God? That my faith is genuine. That it is working itself out. It's not just lip service and said, yes, I checked that box, I walked that aisle, I prayed that prayer, I did whatever I think I need to do. How do I truly have faith in Christ? There's not a light that's shining. Angels don't sing wherever I go. I don't have a strange mark on my body that resembles Jesus. How do I know that I truly am a child of God and that my faith is genuine? Romans 8 begins to play that out, the evidence of genuine faith in verses 12 through 17. Notice that the evidence of faith is resemblance in verses 12 through 14. So then, brothers, we are debtors, not to the flesh to live according to the flesh, for if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. Now you can tell a lot about a parent by their children and how their children act. Children are a reflection of their parents for better or for worse. 
how they act, how they speak, and how they treat others. They are a reflection. Sorry, some of you, and, and that's good news for some of you all, somebody else. I'm not looking at anybody. I'm not naming names. But the same thing is true for the children of God. Those who are the children of God share a family resemblance to our Heavenly Father. And that family resemblance is holiness. Holiness. And why do I say that? Well, notice in verse 12, so then, uh, brothers, we are debtors. This is an understanding of an obligation, just as those of you who have mortgages are obliged to pay the bank for your mortgage, those who are citizens have an obligation to live according to the law of the land that you live. Those who are part of Christ's household, who are in the household of the Father, redeemed by the Son and sealed by the Spirit, have an ethical and moral obligation to live according to what our Father of the household demands. Just as our children are called to live like their father and their mother calls them to live. I know many times when I was growing up, my father would say, that's not how we act. We as partikas do not act like that. And I have echoed that to my children and prayerfully, uh, they will do the same. There is a standard by which we as earthly parents expect our children to behave much more so that our heavenly father who has brought us out of sin and redeemed us has called us to live that reflects the values and the virtues and the holiness of our God who says be holy for I am holy. But I want you to notice it is not just to work really hard and be really good and be moral and don't embarrass me in public or I will beat you in private or I will make you pay in private and take away all your privileges and you'll sit in your room and rot. It says that those who, in the end of 14, you, for all who are led by the Spirit are sons of God. We are not the ones that are setting the standard of holiness, though we often try by our self-righteousness. We do what we think we do, can do to manipulate God into acting and, being, and appeasing Him. Ultimately, it's the Spirit who is leading His children, as in the Old Testament, the Spirit of God led the people in the wilderness. The Spirit of God is leading those who are, it, who are a part of the household of God. And how is the Father le leading us? By the means of the Holy Spirit. Not behavior modification where we clamp down in rules, but it's the Spirit who is working in our heart and changing us. And when the, the heart is changed, the, the uh, behavior will change. Those of you who have children who have moved out of the house, prayerfully, that they have followed in faith. But there are many children we know all too well that we put down clamps like a spring and hold that down with behavior modification. And as soon as we, our rules and, and restrictions are pulled away, what happens to that spring? It lets loose. The same thing as parents when we clamp down, if we don't reach their heart, it does not change the behavior when our rules and moral guidelines and compasses are removed. It's the Holy Spirit of God who is working and transforming in the heart of His children that they desire and they love and they long to honor their Father with their lives. 
the Holy Spirit works in us to put to death sin. It's not our job, though we are called to put to death sin, we are not alone in that struggle, in that fight. It's the Spirit who's working and guiding. This morning we mentioned in uh, Sunday school of how uh, desires that we have to be like David. I often struggle with worry. And uh, if you're anything like me, when you're laying in bed at night and your work is done and you can't do anything else to distract you from your thoughts, that's when my demons attack. And, and fear and pressure and, and self-loathing often comes. And I tell myself, Jesus tells me not to worry. And I said, don't worry, Chris. And what happens? I worry even more. I'm not, I'm worrying. I'm in disobedience. I can't believe I'm worrying. And I have to stop and say this. Father, I can't not worry. I need your spirit to come and transform and lead me and guide me so I can trust in you. Create in me a clean heart, O oh God, and renew a right spirit within me, as the, David says in Psalm 51. Ocean Park, do you have a family resemblance to our Heavenly Father? Do you desire to be holy, though you know you stumble and fall so many? Are you, by the power of the Holy Spirit, working to put to death the deeds of the flesh so that you will look like and have the family resemblance of our Holy Father? The second evidence is our relationship. Notice verse 15. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of what? Adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. An intimacy but reverence that we call out to our Father. Let me ask you this this morning. When you think about God, is your heart full of fear? Or is your heart full of trust? And not fear as in holy reverence for our God, but panic because you know that if deeds are known, you would, God would crush you. When you think about God, do you think about bondage or do you think about freedom? If you are a child of God, brothers and sisters, you can trust that God is moving you towards glory and not towards judgment. Galatians chapter 4, verse 8 that we looked at last week. Formerly, when you did not know God, you're enslaved to those things that are by nature not God's. Powerless idols that cannot save. We are in bondage to those things and that we, because we feared. We thought that those things would save us, so we went to those things that define our identity. Not just bad things, but good things, like family, like the church, like our jobs, like our, our children. We find our identity in those things, but those things cannot save us and deliver us from the fear of our hearts. Only Christ can do that. That's why we cling to the promises of Romans chapter 1. There are 8, chapter 1. Chapter 8, verse 1. You'll get it eventually. There is therefore now what? No condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Why? Because the condemnation was poured out on Christ so that in eternity it will not be poured out on you like you deserve. You can live in freedom and enjoy the good gifts of a good Heavenly Father knowing you don't get what you deserve, but you get grace and mercy through adoption into the family of God. 
And we can work, we are now in a purposeful relationship. Romans 8, 28, that verse that people quote to us as an empty platitude, and you really just want to punch them in the throat because they're, it's just empty. And it's, but those of us who have gone, and those of you who have gone through deep waters where you feel that you can't sustain it any longer, and you come to Romans 8, 28, and the promise is this, all things work together for good. Not all things are good. All things work together for good. For who? For those who are called according to His purpose. For those who are His children. He is working all things together for good. Through cancer, through joblessness, through relationships that are shattered, through disappointment when people don't love you the way you think they do, and they don't meet your expectations, and they fail you over and over again. It is our Heavenly Father that is working all things for good according to the purposes of His will, even when we do not understand. And the promise is this, that those he foreknew that ordained before the foundation of the earth would be predestined for adoption to bring and call for himself a body, a people, a children. He called them and he justified, he declared them his children and he declared them just as if they had fulfilled the righteous law, and there's the promise that He will glorify them. That sin will be wiped away. The power of sin, the presence of sin will be wiped away. And this is a prophetic past that even though we have not yet tasted that glory, it is so promised and assured that it is a done deal. That that adoption will be coming. We can rest in the fact that God will accomplish what He promised and He purposed before the foundations of the world. And we can have confidence to enter the presence of our God, not as a judge who will condemn us like we deserve, but a Father who welcomes us lovingly into His presence. We no longer, as children of God who have been united to Christ, no longer see God as a judge, but we see Him as a Father. We no longer cower in fear at the thought of death and what is gonna, we will find on the other side, but we know that death will bring us into the presence of our Father. It is no longer a cruel taskmaster because of Jesus. But let me give you this note. Children <clears throat> who are saved by grace don't take sin lightly. They take sin seriously because God takes sin seriously, and He crushed His own Son. And those who have been redeemed out of the slavery of sin don't go back and wallow in the mess of their chain, but they rise, as Wesley says, and go forth and follow Christ. Not only do we have a resemblance, not only do we have a relationship but we share in the rejection of Christ. Verse 16 and 17, the Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God, and if children, then heirs. Heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with Him in order that we may be glorified with Him. While we are here, we will taste suffering of different levels and different pains. 
There are some of you in this room who have tasted far bitter and far deeper suffering than I ever will. But we all share in the sufferings of Christ, knowing that this world is not as it is supposed to be. But Jesus says, the promise in Matthew chapter 5, Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all types of false, uh, uh, evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad. What do we do? We grumble and we complain, and how can we get back at them? It's, Jesus says rejoice. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven when our adoption is complete. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you, and Jesus elsewhere says they persecuted me. What else would you think? And Jesus in Mark chapter 8 said this as well, and calling the crowd, Jesus said, with uh, his disciples, he said to them, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever save his life will lose it, and whoever will lose his life for what? For my sake, and the Gospels will save it. To be a member of the household of God is to renounce your allegiance to the world. C.B. Cranfield, in his great commentary on Romans, wrote these words. That's not, those aren't words. Those are, that's a picture. He wrote these words. There is an element of suffering that is inseparable from faithfulness to Christ in a world which does not know him as Lord. If we are to follow the kingdom of Christ, we are to follow the path that will lead through suffering but leads to glory. This is a picture of Polycarp. Bishop of Smyrna from 69 to 155 A.D., church history tells us he was a disciple of the Apostle John. He, at the end of his life, some 86 years, uh, we believe, that he was brought into those, uh, was captured by those who hated the church, and he told his disciples, do not save me. Let me be that I may be martyred for my Lord. And he was brought before the, the, the fire, and they put him on the wood, and before they lit the fire, they gave him a chance to renounce Christ and say, Polycarp, renounce Jesus Christ. And his words were these, 86 years I have served him, and he has done me no wrong. How can I then blaspheme my king and my savior? You threaten me with a fire that burns for a season, and after a little while it is quenched. But you are ignorant of the fire of everlasting punishment that is prepared for the wicked. And with that, they lit the fire. And as Polycarp, at the twilight of his life, stood as the fires began to engulf him and the heat began to, to he felt the heat on his body, he, wrote, he cried out these words, O Lord God Almighty the Father of your beloved and blessed Son, Jesus Christ, by whom we have received the knowledge of you, the God of angels and powers and every creature and of the whole race of the righteous who live before you, I give you thanks that you have counted me worthy of this day and this hour that I should have a part to be numbered among your martyrs in the cup of Christ to the res resurrection of eternal life, both soul and body, through the incorruption imparted by the Holy Ghost, 
among whom I may be accepted this day before you as a fat and acceptable sacrifice, according to you, the ever-truthful God, have ordained, have revealed beforehand to me, and have fulfilled, wherefore also I praise you for all things. I bless you. I glorify you. Along with the everlasting and heavenly Jesus Christ, your beloved Son, with whom to you and the Holy Ghost be both glory now and the ages to come. Brothers and sisters, how does someone like Polycarp stand before his persecutors who call him to renounce Christ or they will burn him, gladly and joyfully accept the flames? Romans 8.18 For I consider that the sufferings of this present time the flames of my martyr, the, those who will martyr me, the pain of my body as the fire begins to burn me, are not worth comparing to the glory that is to be revealed to us. Brothers and sisters, we can endure the suffering of Christ because we, it cannot compare to the eternity of glory. Adoption is the There it goes. So every week, I'm really trying. Adoption is the promise of grace from eternity past to eternity future. We see the timing of adoption. We see the evidence of those who belong to the Father. And ultimately, we see the glory of adoption as we close. Glory of adoption begins before the foundation of the world and it will end when we are glorified in front of the the presence of our Father and we will be made whole. Our adoption will not be complete, brothers and sisters, until Christ returns and raises those who we have buried by faith. They will rise once again and be united together for eternity with Christ. We see that the curse of sin that has scarred our world, a world that is filled with folly and vanity and and transitory pleasures and emptiness, a creation that is suffering in bondage to corruption where the thorns and the thistles tear and the pain of childbirth continues and the emptiness of man's endeavors does not satisfy us. We feel the weight of sin as we groan together, as one groans inwardly. We know that this is not how it's supposed to be. When these words say we groan inwardly, it is this deep sigh of the soul that because of the weight of sin that's in our world, this world is not as it's supposed to be. We know that because of the illnesses that have taken our loved ones from us and caused them to suffer. That the sinful addictions where we watch our children and our parents and our friends and our neighbors enslave them and wound our hearts. The injustices that plague our societies and our government as we watch as children are exploited. That sigh of the heart when we see Pictures such as this of Auschwitz where millions of people throughout Europe were gassed for no reason but their ethnicity. People were murdered and treated as animals to be thrown into mass graves. The world is not as it's supposed to be and our heart sighs. 
Brothers and sisters, the Spirit knows when we have no words. The Spirit on our behalf prays to the Son, and the Son intercedes and prays to the Father. God is praying to God on our behalf. And we see that though the sin in this world, the Spirit is helping overcome that sin. Verse 26, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not pray, know what we pray as we ought, but the Spirit intercedes with groanings too deep for words. We are not left alone. Though sometimes we feel that we are left alone. When the fog is so thick and the darkness is so deep and inky that we feel we can touch the darkness, we don't know how to pray. We don't know how to articulate the words, but it comes down out with a sigh. The Spirit knows and intercedes for us. And we have the confidence of verse 29 that there will be an end to the sin that runs, runs rampant. And those he predestined, he called. And those he called, he justified. And those he justified, he glorified. Creation will be restored. Our bodies will be restored. Our world will be restored as it was because Christ conquered sin. And we have the promise that he is making and working all things new. That ultimately our adoption will be finalized as we stand before God and all things are made right. Adoption is the promise of grace from eternity past to eternity future. March 21st, 2013 is a wonderful day in our life. One of the sweetest days for Denise and I. Our marriage, Anna's birthday, Andrew's birthday, and Crosby's adoption. We stood in Seminole County courtroom and witnessed the legal declaration that finalized the adoption of Crosby as Crosby James Partika. With these words, Judge Schoonover finalized, finalized the journey of our adoption. She said these words, and I quote, Crosby is now going to be the legal. We already know that he is the emotional and bonded child of Chris and Denise, but now he will be their legal child. And with a stroke of her pen, Judge Schoonover wrote her name on the paper and said, it's official. And Crosby became our full son as if natural born. In Revelation 21, verses 1 through 7, there will be a day when our adoption, brothers and sisters, is complete when sin that ravages our world will be no more. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. And he who is seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. And he said, write this down. For these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. 
to the thirsty I will give from the springs of water of life without promise, without payment. And the one who conquers will have his heritage, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. Come quickly, Lord Jesus.